Good morning, and welcome into the Blitz, live here on Fan Run Radio. Live in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios, I'm Charlie Collier, back behind the board, it's Sam Beard, and we are here with you for the next couple of hours, getting into your lunch break, and starting off, starting off the last week uh, before the holiday season really kicks off, right here. Right now, a week away from Christmas, everyone kind of mailing it in this last week, and then uh, then you enjoy, hopefully, you know, hopefully a good four or five days off for everyone out there. So, uh, pretty good week. It's got to so, be one of the most inefficient weeks of, yeah. uh, of the American workplace, right? I would say... Um, this and maybe like the, the week of the first round of March Madness, but even then, uh, no. like that doesn't touch this week. That's just you, Charlie. No, That's I mean, I would say that that week might be number two or number three. And I'd still say it's substantially below, like significantly below this week. I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, I think that's just number two for you, Charlie. Like, I think you just pack it up and don't do anything for the week of March Madness. Like, I think a lot of, you know, normally functioning people. Well, I would just argue that most of the 52 weeks, people are always, like, pretty efficient and doing their job. So, like, if you're trying to identify what the second least efficient one would be, that would be a candidate. I'd say probably just last week would also be a candidate. Or the week, you know, that's... Like, right after Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, I'd just probably start putting, like, holidays before I did sporting events. But that's just me. Well, I would I would definitely put, <laughs> like, this specific season above. So, okay, I mean, I, I don't know, man. How many people are really working that Thursday and Friday in March Madness? Probably more than you think. But there I, are plenty of people that are that are checked out. And I are, mean, I'd like to be let let it be known watching now, the games uh, under their under their desk. I will not be doing a show on Thursday or Friday. I will be sick, and if I need to just actually get sick, I'll go lick things I shouldn't until I get sick. Okay. What would that be? I don't know. Money. I feel like that's probably the quick. Like if <sighs> I if I needed to get if you needed to get sick in a pinch, like what what how would you go about it? fake it no but i'm saying like if you actually needed to uh like acquire a you know a light virus an illness of some kind like what's what's the game plan i think i think licking money's got to be the quickest way that would be closer to the bottom of my list that just feels like there's way too many cons than pros you know because if the pro is getting sick in this case then like (laughs) i think i'd rather just like go to the Go to the hospital or something like that and be like, put me into the sickest area of your. Yeah, but when you get into that territory, then you could be like messing with accidentally getting some real bad stuff. You know, I'm just looking for. You could be getting some bad stuff on that money, too, you know? And what if there's some. That's what they say, right? Money's like the dirtiest thing out there. Like, that's just. Yeah. I think I'd rather get like injected with sickness than just have to like lick pennies enough to get sick. I was thinking like bills more than coins. Well, I'm not gonna it's just all be the same stuff. Sucking on copper. It's all the same stuff. You're going to be doing licking on paper then? I might be. Never mind. 
let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> week till Christmas, but uh, we got a nice little sporting week in the meantime. Kind of, sort of, not really, if we're being honest. But uh, we had a big weekend, huge weekend. It was a fantastic week to watch some sports. Uh, Saturday was great. Yesterday was not. No. Uh, yesterday, I was just cold and sad. Yeah, more sad for me. I wasn't too cold. I was I was pretty cold. It was cold at the Titans game. It was real cold. Tell the people why you were cold at the Titans game, Charlie. Um, the weather app. The weather app. No, 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 no. The no, weather no, app. No. The weather app told me you, that it was going to be. You made this the weather decision. App, the weather app told me that it was going to be sunny. And in the 50s. The weather app didn't, you didn't pull it up and it told you, Charlie, wear shorts today in the middle of December. Sunny in the 50s is, yes, Charlie, wear shorts. You should know better. And and the sun came out for 10 minutes. In those 10 minutes, I was like, oh, thank God I have shorts on. This feels incredible. But the sun didn't come out. It didn't actually get into the 50s. It was freezing, and I wasn't happy. I think you should. I wore a long sleeve, just T-shirt and and shorts. I I would venture to say that just... In the middle of December, I would probably just err on the side of caution for it being cold. Well, you but think that's I would learn, me. too. That's just me, you know? I did the same thing, the exact same thing, like the the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Froze. Yeah, I mean, you've been going to home football games for years now, and you still just haven't gotten the the wardrobe part of it down some points. Uh, No, never. Pretty much never. <laughs> Never. I'm 24 years old, and it's just apparently not good at properly dressing for things. One of these games. One of these wear days. wear a hoodie. Maybe well, see, then I'm, when I wear the hoodie, I'll get too hot. You know, that's the thing. As soon as I as soon as soon I wear something long sleeve to a game, like it's going to be 65 in the middle of December. I mean, you could have just worn, like, jeans and a long sleeve, and that would that would have looked just way less crazy. <laughs> Why didn't, I just Were you didn't, the only person that you saw in shorts at the stadium? I, I don't know. I wasn't looking at legs. I wasn't leg hunting yesterday. I bet you were one of them. Again, I thought it was going to be warm. I really did. I just would never trust it to be warm in the middle of December. Even though it is the, you know, it, it did seem like it was going to be a little bit warmer, but it's just too risky. Like, today's a good shorts day. Today's a decent shorts day. I don't know. It is low of 24. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, man. But, yeah, yesterday uh, sucked. It was bad. It was not fun. It was sad. The dream is dead. The playoffs are over. All that time spent on the playoff machine, wasted. Will Levis, injured. Maybe not as bad as we thought. Yeah, at least it doesn't look like it's actually too bad. But the Titans are. Yeah, the Titans are dead. The Titans are every bit as bad as they looked. We are dead in the water. Overtime loss to the Case Keenum-led Houston Texans, who also didn't have their starting right tackle, best edge rusher, and top two receivers. Mm-hmm. And also spotted us 13 points. And we still lost. Back-to-back home games that are uh, overtime losses to division opponents really stinks. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that does stink. 
really stings. Um, Derrick Henry sucks. The thing that hurt hurt the worst was just the the uniforms too. The fact that we did it, we we lost to the Texans wearing our Oilers uniforms. The fact that we lost to the Texans wearing our Oilers uniforms and DeAndre Hopkins didn't really have a good game. In fact, had a bad game. Nine targets and two catches. That hurt. Yeah. That that, that, that might have been the worst game of his career. Which, Derek Stingley had him Yeah. clamped. Clamped. That might have been the worst game of his career, which, like, granted, he hasn't really had many bad games. So the worst game of his career is still just, like, not the worst game ever. But, yeah, that might have been the worst game of his career. Against his old, t- like I just, I wanted so bad to watch D Hop like catch a game-winning touchdown. All the Texans fans, they finally got what they dreamed of all those years. DeAndre Hopkins catching a touchdown in an Oilers jersey, except it's actually just to knock them out of the playoff race. Yeah, could he have just scored? Could he not have just scored? I also, I was in five in, in my eight fantasy leagues yesterday. I was in five playoffs and I lost. All of them but one. That's good. I'm kind of tired of talking about your fantasy teams. I barely bring it up. You bring it up a lot. I updated you Like, it's at least twice a week. Uh, I updated you last week that I uh, got in. How many times have I updated you on my fantasy teams this year? I didn't make it to the playoffs. That's what I thought. But I don't... can you not at least sympathize with not the really. fact that I had five? Because you started like four Titans players in the fantasy playoffs. You you got to know better than that. I didn't have any choice, Sam. You got you got to draft better than that. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> it definitely was. I no no no. C.J. Stroud was my quarterback. Okay. So I I had to go pick so someone off backup? a waiver. So I took Levis instead of Joe Flacco, or I, my options were Joe Flacco, Nick Mullins. And like Zach Wilson and Joe Will Flacco's Levis. elite. So I went with Will Levis. Flacco's elite. And then D Hop's not a bad start. He's been good this year. And then Henry is my RB three. Like that's not bad. It's just who I got stuck with. But then also my tight end got hurt. I got stuck with Chig. Terrible. They all suck. They all suck. None of them do well in, in – whenever you need them to do well in fantasy, they do bad. And then you bench them, and then they score 20 on the bench, and you're like, ooh, I'll start them next week, and then they score four points. Yeah, so I lost all of them mm-hmm. except for one, the least important one, just the station league. I <laughs> whipped up on Tucker Harlan. Yeah. I guess he can still technically beat me if – Next week. Is it two-week matchups? No, but I think he has like one player left on Monday Night Football. He's got, yeah, <laughs> Dallas Goddard's got to have a career <laughs> game. <laughs> like, if Dallas Goddard goes off for, uh, I don't know. He's got to have, like, 30 points, basically. Yeah, if Dallas Goddard has, like, 30, then i go 0 for 5. <laughs> so, if that happens. Oh, but I, you have Seattle D, too. Yeah. Well, that'll oh, so cancel he could, itself out. He can out. work against me. Yeah, that'll cancel itself out. Well, in fact, actually, he could drive. He could He could bring my point total down as his goes up. Jordan uh, Addison on the bench there is tough for you, too. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, did you watch any bowl games Saturday? Um, A few. Miami of Ohio. That was fun. Yeah, I tuned into that I just a little. I had a really fun time watching the Cure Bowl. Yeah. Uh, 
God, it was nasty. I think 11 total fumbles. <laughs> yeah. And probably just as many inches of rain fall during that game. Just the wettest football game that we've had in a good long while. 13 to 9 was like impressive. Like that was a good amount of I points. I can't scored, believe I App like. State cracked double digits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was almost convinced that that was just going to be like a no touchdown game. <laughs> I bet on Miami of Ohio money line, and then I turned the game on, and I was like, all right, you know what? We're not going to get a real football game, but it's also a coin flip to see who wins. So I feel pretty good about getting them at like four to one odds. Yeah. Or three to one, whatever it was. That's a good point. You know, like, it's like throw you know talent out the window, rain trumps all of that. Yeah, I was like, this game has turned into a, a straight up coin flip, and I got one team at three to one in a game that feels 50 50. I'll take it. Didn't work out. Um, I was sad to see the fighting Diego Pavias fall. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Kill after the game going off. He was off mad. Too. Yeah, he was really mad. I didn't watch that game. He was uh he was very upset because New Mexico's athletic director tried to prevent them from using any of their facilities or practicing inside for the New Mexico Bowl. Uh because Wait. of the Diego So it was the New Mexico Bowl, so New Mexico State was in town. Their and own both... athletic director prevented no, no, no. them. So New Mexico State was in town. In, I guess, Las Cruces, where New Mexico is. Okay. Because the New Mexico Bowl was played where, like, UNM is. Yeah, it's New Mexico State there. And both teams are in Albuquerque, ready for the New Mexico Bowl. They would both be using New Mexico's facilities to practice and prepare. Ah, but the... And New Mexico, like, went out of their way to try and prevent... New Mexico State from using their facilities and apparently like made the week super hard and complicated and like messed up their schedules hmm. because they're still upset about the Diego Pavia incident, so they didn't want to let them in inside. Hmm. Jerry Kill was really upset. Said that they maybe don't to take a criminal. leak on their midfield on their field. He got punished for it. Did he? Yeah. What was his punishment? So Jerry Kill said, you know, he what was all the punishment? The, he was like, like a game. He's like, uh, no, he didn't get suspended or anything. But he's like, I mean, you don't know, like I punished him. Like he's faced discipline. He's learned. He's grown. Like he did community service and he did this and that. He wants. Uh, he he was saying New Mexico's athletic director. We need to get you like criminally. You, you should be getting in legal trouble with this. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Technically, what Pavia did is getting him in legal trouble, too, you know? I did like, love, I do trouble. love a good angry Jerry kill, though, so I was cool with it. Um, I don't know. The bowl slate wasn't great, though. I didn't really watch much bowl football, to be honest with you. I watched m- most or, like, parts of or most of every game, and it just uh, kind of sort of disappointed a little bit. Only, like, one close game, kind of? Yeah, I mean, Georgia Two, Southern looked like they were hungover. Just they might have been up. straight they up. Been. No, I think they were. I I feel you like put some I, Georgia Southern boys down at Myrtle Beach. Come on, yeah, you no, can't I, control them. I mean, again, we, what's they were viral on Twitter like four years ago because a player was standing on top of the team bus, double double shotgunning beers. But they looked like they had a very good time in Myrtle Beach. We'll just say that, uh, and and that let me down. Five turnovers. <laughs> Yeah, that's the worst part about like betting on bowl games. It's also the best part, but it's the worst part. It's like you can you you know, you can track the opt outs and the depth charts and whatever else, and sometimes it just comes down to like, yeah, this team cared and this team got drunk. Yeah. Oh, what you you went and found out that, you know, uh, 
the third string quarterback that's playing because of opt outs actually plays really well against this style of defense from his high school. Day. Well, it doesn't matter because his bar tab was <laughs> three hundred dollars last night. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the Jacksonville State Louisiana game was was a lot of fun uh, in New Orleans. That I think that's a good demonstration of like, hey, these bowl games do matter. Mm-hmm. That's my least favorite group of people. Is like the we just need to get rid of these bowl games. Who the hell cares? No one's watching these games. So what? You don't have to watch. No one's making you. But clearly, it means something to these teams. I mean, yeah. You see the way Jacksonville State celebrates. Clearly, it means something. Just don't watch. No one's asking you. No one's begging you. Go Christmas shop or you know do something else. But there's no reason to take it away just because you don't like them. Yeah, just because they're not playing in the SEC doesn't mean that. Yeah. I mean, they're working just as hard as any other team was. Uh, but the last three games were all bad. Fresno State, blowout. UCLA just blew Boise State out in the second half. Broncos just didn't come back from the half. Uh, and then, yeah, Texas Tech just dogged Cal. Uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I said any of those games were... Don't worry, though. Interesting me, you know, like Slate making me picks flip up off today. From, uh, Aren't you tomorrow. excited? Tomorrow? You're you're not going to be t- tuned in to Jerry Richardson Stadium today at two thirty, Sam. Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, oh. the famous Toastery Bowl, also known as the Bahamas Bowl. I didn't know we had one today. I thought it was only tomorrow. Oh, buddy, we got one today. Oh, we got one today. I'll take Monarchs football. Catch the fever. We'll catch a break here. Dive into Tennessee basketball on the other side. Ever been the co? Our daddy looked a lot like him. It's not the way I had him pictured. Santa was so much too thin. All right, back here on the Blitz, Tennessee. Late, late, late Saturday night. Went into San Antonio and left with a victory. Not always as clean as maybe we'd imagined. A little higher scoring than we thought, given the basketball we were playing with. And all in all, uh, I thought a pretty fun basketball game to watch uh maybe a little bit nerve-wracking there in a couple different moments but 79 to 70 the final uh tennessee wins but they don't cover by a half a point uh because of a last minute or last second three rather from nc state i'm sure that might have mattered to some maybe some people in this room yeah but uh (laughs) tennessee gets the win they move to eight and three uh, two games left in conf- or before you get to conference play. Now you got Tarleton State. So uh, Gillespie coaches that team. Billy Gillespie, isn't that funny? He's just in Tarleton, Texas, doing his thing. Uh, but you got Tarleton State on Thursday, and then uh, a weird amount of time off before you got another one. January second against a Norfolk State team that has played a lot better than. Maybe people expected, but it's still, in the grand scheme of things, nowhere close to Tennessee. Uh, so you should, you should probably move into conference play. Um, ten and three. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't, <laughs> then we, something disastrous has happened uh, that is that has not been seen in the Rick Barnes era. So uh, you know, you should be heading into conference play ten and three, probably back inside the top 10, I would say, by January 6th against an Ole Miss team. That should probably be 13-0 and and, you know, maybe comes in in the top 20, which, funny enough, they would probably still be double-digit underdogs against Tennessee, probably somewhere in that, like, 8-12 to range. Yeah, that seems kind of fair. 
I would say probably double digits, though, and it might get bet down. Um, but Tennessee, they get the win, 79-70. to 70. Um, Oh, this is funny to look at. Just looking at like the the game cast box score here on ESPN, they have they have like the little graph that's percentage of seats full, fourteen percent attendance. Oof. Yeah, out of the capacity that was eighteen thousand three hundred and fifty four, twenty four hundred people were at the game Saturday night. It did. Uh, I mean, it looked like twenty four hundred people on TV too. Yeah, I, I'm surprised they even hit twenty four hundred. Were they counting the the cowl and and Auburn attendance too? Maybe don't start games at 10 o'clock. Maybe don't make two East Coast teams play in San Antonio, Texas the week before Christmas. Maybe don't do that. Who was this game for? Like, I still... Who was this whole event for? There weren't any Cal fans there. There weren't any Ole Miss fans there. At least that could make, make a little bit more sense because, like, San Antonio feels pretty central between Oxford and Berkeley. I guess. Even then, it doesn't actually make any sense. But this should have been played in like Atlanta. Yeah, like hey, or let's like, let's let's make two East Coast teams go play with a basketball no one wants to play with at ten o'clock at night in San Antonio. Why you might ask? We don't know either. Because <laughs> that's why. Like I saw people saying, oh, you know, it's just for the money. You know, ESPN trying to get their money. Is it really that profitable for ESPN? Like who who does make money off of this? Anyway, anyway, Tennessee gets the win, and uh, maybe not in the fashion we thought it would come. Dalton Connect on the night played just 19 minutes and was one of seven from the field. Was also kind of sort of a defensive liability at times. Uh, was was getting lost a little bit. Instead, you had guys like Sakai Ziegler step up. Sakai finishing with 20 points, four of eight from three Eight assists and four steals. Mm-hmm. Um, Jemai Meshack, you know, gives you 26 minutes, 11 points. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James continues to have a fantastic year so far. Uh, a career high, 23 points, which I didn't realize that was his career high. I could have sworn at some point in the last half decade we've been watching him play. He's he's cracked, you know, 21. 25 maybe. Yeah, like uh, he had <laughs> 26 against Marist in 2013, because that's how long he's been. It here. was kind of surprising when those graphics were popping. Yeah, up. but uh, I, I'd say a pretty good win for Tennessee, all things considered. I, I was, I was pleased with what I saw. Yeah, I, I think you know, it's a positive sign that I think you kind of found a different way to win. You know, obviously you mentioned connect only playing 20 minutes and you know and obviously not playing his best basketball only going one for seven from the field and yeah like it seemed like he was taking some bad shots and then kind of going back down on the defensive side of the ball and just playing a a lazy kind of you know a lazy possession of defense and so I think Barnes got him out of there um but yeah you got to give credit to this Tennessee team for for some of those veterans you know stepping up big into that role Josiah James gives you 23 and, and Zakai gives you 20 like it's got it's it's a breakout game for Zakai, I think. You know, I think you've finally in these last four or five games really seen him get really comfortable now, and I think you're seeing him knock a lot of that rust off and get back into the player that you expected him to be. Um and, you know, obviously too, uh, you know, Jonas Adu under the weather there too, said that he was a little bit sick coming in. 
was kind of questionable to play. He had to play 26 minutes, but really doesn't give you all that much. So I think Owaka really gave you some valuable minutes there, uh, only playing 18 minutes, but getting 12 boards in that time. I, I just think you you had guys on this team really step up in times where, you know, not normally so far this season, it's kind of just been connecting Adu as kind of those two guys that you can rely on. And now this, uh, you know, on Saturday, you, you got something different. Yeah, Zakai Ziegler was was obviously really impressive, and and he certainly seems to be getting back to uh, to the Zakai that we knew. I mean, granted, you know, there's always going to be some parts of his game that are a little bit inefficient. You know, there's always going to be like times where maybe someone can get a shot up over him, but what he gives you is, is worth that. You know, what he gives you uh, is is certainly worth that. And like I've spent some time arguing with John some this this year. Zakai Ziegler, when he got injured last year, like, yeah, I think there were times in the first half of last season, I think that there were times when he was that sixth man coming off the bench his freshman year that he was far more inefficient. But if you go back and look at, at like, the last month and a half he played, got rid of a lot of those inefficiencies. He was playing, like, the SEC's best or second-best point guard with Wade Taylor. Yeah. You know, he was he was distributing like like a madman. Like, you go back... Um, you know, there's like a turning point in the year when SEC plays started where uh, there was a conversation Rick Barnes had where he's like, hey, me and Zakai, like we really went back and we watched Jordan Bone. And, you know, we, we tried to pull some things from what Bone did for that offense. And we, you know, we've talked to, to Zakai about being more of a true point guard. I mean, he followed that up with 10 assists, 8 assists, 9 assists, 7 assists, 4, then 10, 7, 10, 3, 6, 7, 10, 8. Like, that's the month and a half of basketball Zakai Ziegler was playing before he tore his ACL last year. That is phenomenal basketball. Mm-hmm. And, and you get back to now, like, what he what he's done the last couple of games, and, and, man, if he can get back to that, then that elevates both the floor and the ceiling of this basketball team. And maybe he is getting back to that, because going back to the second half of that UNC game where things really felt like they started to click, uh, since then – Six assists, six points, shooting 33% from three. You take that all day. One turnover. Uh, The next game, Illinois, four assists, zero turnovers, 11 points, shot 50% from three, 40% from the field. You'll take that from him all day again. You know, against Georgia 7, Southern, the four turnovers you don't want to have, but he's still, you know, seven assists, six points, shot 42% from the field. And then, of course, you know, 20 assists, I mean, excuse me, 20 points, 8 assists, and uh, 50% from 3, 4 of 8 on Saturday. Like, if, if Sakai Ziegler is that player, then Tennessee has, like, a another star. Yeah. And, and that's just kind of the – it felt like that one little missing connecting piece kind of from this offense in the in the first couple, you know, maybe like the first month of the season almost where it's just like – if you can kind of get that Zakai production that you were that you were seeing in from SEC play kind of on into that before he got injured, <clears throat> um, yeah, I just think that that's a huge element of this offense that makes this team so much more dangerous. Uh, and you know, when he, when he's shooting the ball well too, it just really opens things up on the court. I, I think that that was a gutsy win. You know, like we we kind of talked about it. I think on Friday where it's like. You're not expecting to play the cleanest game of all time playing in San Antonio at 10 o'clock on a Saturday and kind of just a a weird spot there like wedged in between Christmas. Like I think Tennessee did a good job of 
of adjusting kind of to some of the the adversity that they might have faced with you know with connect not not having his best stuff in a night and a couple of your guys being sick on the team so I think you got to feel you know feel pretty pleased about their performance on Saturday night yeah I mean you see it all the time in in college basketball like weird settings weird matchups produce weird results Mm -hmm. and and Saturday night was conducive to chaos and credit to Tennessee they didn't let it happen you know thought a pretty good effort from NC State I thought NC State played well yeah and and I mean you look at their numbers you know 44 percent from three they shot 43 percent from the field you know attempted 25 free throws to Tennessee's 16 forced 11 turnovers like that is that is a pretty impressive game from NC State and I thought there was some high level shot making you know I saw some people frustrated or, or concerned maybe with Tennessee's post defense to me, I, I watch that game and I say, man, DJ Burns, tip of the cap. Just good player. Yeah. I mean, you got him into un- uncomfortable situations. Like, he doesn't necessarily love moving away from the basket. He doesn't necessarily love, like, having to go to the left shoulder, falling away from the basket, or, you know, or spinning back away to, like, the short corner. You got him even into some of those situations. Like, I, I didn't think the scout was all that bad. And still, he just made shots. Like, over and over and over again, I thought. You had situations with DJ Burns where it was, you know, good defense, better offense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just basketball. Yeah. And again, Jonas Adu's sick. You know, I thought he could have done a better job maybe digging Burns out a little bit and not allowing him to get, you know, positioning as good as he got. He, he did set up pretty deep sometimes. But there were also times that you had him two or three feet off the block. And, and that's where he receives the pass. And still, I mean, he just found a way to make contested shots. So, you know, I thought, hey, it is what it is. He made some great shots. Same with DJ Horn. Mm-hmm. Four, seven from three. I thought you contested pretty well. You know, just some, some high-level shot making. They just shot well from three, yeah. You know, I, mean. I, I think really <laughs> pretty impressive given how well Tennessee played. I mean, how well NC State played. And Tennessee's best player giving you two points. Pretty impressive, I think, to still control this game for a lot of, you know, the 40 minutes, but then also win this game uh, by, by nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some thoughts coming out of this one. Uh, have teams figured out a game plan a little bit for Dalton Connect? Maybe, yeah. Or at least, you know, have we stumbled upon a, a bad matchup for him? Because, you know, I think to this game and I think back to Maui, like when teams have been aggressive with their ball pressure and when they've had those secondary defenders kind of shoot some gaps, like those smaller, quicker, like kind of darty guards where they you know they're really getting active with their hands I feel like have caused Dalton Connect some issues you know I thought they were really giving him issues on Saturday and NC State I mean they're athletic and aggressive on defense and you can kind of catch them and use that aggression against them but like Dalton Connect's handles are still a little iffy sometimes it feels like yeah and I think when you get him he, he feels like such a big rhythm player and it you know, when he's at his best, it really feels like he's dictating the pace of the game and he's just moving very smooth. And I think, you know, on Saturday, I think you saw them speed him up a lot. And then, you know, he looked uncomfortable at times. You saw him kind of, I think that's a good point, like some of those smaller guards kind of getting getting after him on the perimeter. And you saw him kind of making some errant drives to the basket and just not really being able to finish quite as well, you know, around the rim. And the people were swarming him too, so... Yeah, I mean, I think there is, people are starting to maybe game plan a little bit for him, but I also think it's a 
you know, it's a testament to the the quality of our team as well to be able to to find scoring in other ways when Dalton connects figured out on a night or just having a bad off night. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. There has been some conversation like, hey, maybe Dalton connect when you really have to get into the half court. Not quite as good. I don't know how much I buy into that. I think the Dalton Connect has some improving, you know, improvements to make, which I think, I mean, coming from Northern Colorado to the SEC, like they're just I was going to say elements of the game just, you're going to have to adjust to, and yeah. we're, we're going to see him learn on the fly. But he has to be a little bit more aware of of where those secondary defenders are at. He needs to be a little bit more aware of, you know, where the ball pressure is going to be coming from, and and. You know, I think there's times that you're maybe going to need to see him kind of come to a jump stop and like pass out of it, and, and you know, find some guys moving off of the defensive action when they're you know rotating to to provide extra help to you. But seems like maybe some teams have found a way to make life a little bit more difficult for Dalton to connect at times, or at least we found a matchup that isn't great for connect. Now, off of that, you know, kind of the second thought I have here, um, the Vols team of this year is so much different than the previous teams we've seen because they have counters. This team has counters for everything. You know, if, if Dalton Connect isn't scoring, you know, if the matchup isn't great for him, okay, Zakai Ziegler can go get 20. Or, you know, in a different setting, like Jonas Adu can go get 20. Or, you know, Josiah, who's been actually just pretty consistent this year, yeah, can go very. give you – you know, 23. Like, you have different answers. You have different ways to score. You know, it felt like in years past, if your leading scorer is one for seven with two points, you're scoring 52 points and hoping you win a rock fight. But this year, Tennessee has answers. They can run the offense differently. You know, they can they can play through different people. They can run different kind of styles of offense. You know, furthermore, not, not only do they have counters to, say, a bad Dalton Connect tonight, but, you know, I think they have a guy like Jemai Meshack, who, okay, you know, Horn is giving you problems early. He, he's got 11 points in the first 10 minutes. All right, it's Jemai Meshack time. You know, this is one of those games that, that we're really going to implement our stopper, so to speak. And, you know, Dalton, I mean, excuse me, Jemai Meshack goes and plays 26 minutes. And, you know, Horn had 11 in the first 11 minutes. He had five the next 29 a lot of that, I think, goes to Jemai Meshack. Absolutely. And it's nice to have somebody on your bench where not just in this game, but in any game, if, if you have like an individual matchup that's really starting to kind of go against you, you feel like you have that guy, Jemai Meshack, that you can put in and, and stop it. And maybe you're giving up a little bit on the offensive end, but hey, Jemai Meshack took eight shots and scored 11 points. You know, he, he's looking a little bit more comfortable. He had five rebounds, four assists. That's a great game from him. And then, you know, finally, I think you have the counter of a Tobe Awaka. You know, Adu wasn't quite as physical with DJ Burns as you would have liked. Again, kind of setting up too low, like Tennessee wasn't rebounding as well as they'd hoped. What do you do? You put Tobe Awaka in. A little bit smaller, stumpier, but he's got that, that power. He's got that aggression. And he wore down DJ Burns mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, dug him out of the paint, made him position himself deeper, didn't really give up any any space, made life more difficult on DJ Burns, but then he also comes in and gets 12 rebounds in 18 minutes. Six offensive boards, yeah, too. Yeah, he is, 
you know, we, we said this last year, like he has a lot of like Oscar Sheebway like traits to me just mm-hmm. in terms of his like natural ability to just feel where a rebound is headed and put your body in the right position. Like there are just certain players that, that rebounding is just such a natural gift. And and he is one of those guys. So Tennessee's got counters. And that's great to see. That that is the sign of a team that can uh, get into the third weekend of March. Yeah. Do you think uh Barnes and this staff have, have told Ganey to stop shooting it as much since the uh since the George Mason game, he hasn't shot it more than like four or five times each game. Been pro, been real quiet the last the last three games. It feels like they've been rolling Ganey back a little bit. Yeah, I don't really have as big of a problem as some do with Jordan Ganey. I just think you see a guy making the jump from USC Upstate, where you almost need him forcing shots, to Tennessee, where you need him to be more selective. I just think that there are some growing pains, and we've seen that the first month of the season. And you know, it wasn't probably wasn't all that beneficial honestly that he started off as hot as he did because that gave him kind of an extended green light but now you're seeing him get reeled back into more of the role player we thought he would be and that's valuable for Tennessee and you know he had a a pretty important three on Saturday night so I don't really have a big issue with Ganey and I think he is reeling the shots in because I think I mean, you have to be careful with Ganey. Like, you don't want him to just not shoot when he has open looks. Like, you don't want that to be the message. Mm -hmm. You just need him to take better shots. And I think we're starting to see him take some better shots because he is a good shooter. I I just think the shot selection was his issue at times. And, And, again, like, that's just going to come from when you go, you know, from USC Upstate where you need like the team needs you to take 15 shots and it doesn't matter if you go 35% because they just need you to take those shots no one else can like to make that jump up to Tennessee you know we'll see what happens in January like i, I think we're going to feel a lot better about Ganey in another month in, in the role that he's playing um other than that i got to say too credit to Rick Barnes i think he's doing a great job so far this year with the rotations yeah like i think he's really kind of pressing the right buttons extending the bench when he's needed to, dialing in the rotation when he's needed to. He's played the hot hands. I think he's played some of the right matchups. You know, credit to him for being willing to give Jemai Meshack those 26 minutes and sit tall in the connect down. I was going to say, you know, just as much credit to sitting some players as he is to playing some players. So I've been uh, I've been very pleased with Rick Barnes and his really, I mean, from March – and, and when this roster construction started, like all the way through here now on December 18th, I've been really pleased with with a lot of the decisions he's made, with the way he's handled this team, this roster, uh, and and especially the way he's handled rotations. I'm overall very pleased with this basketball team. I think they're in a good spot. Uh, but we'll catch a break here on the other side. Want to look at some of the other action that happened? A big, big hoops weekend we're coming off of. Stay with us on the Blitz. Santa, I make my runs about the break of day. They call me back to Santa. 10.48 here on the Blitz, rolling along on this Monday morning. Sam, it was a huge hoops weekend. Uh, we had probably the most anticipated uh, non-conference matchup of the year, Arizona and Purdue. Yep. 
that a lot of people couldn't watch because it was on Peacock. Uh, but then you also had the CBS Sports Classic, which delivers a thousand times out of a thousand. Every year. Just a really fun Saturday from start to finish. You had, I mean, you had great games in every slate, every window. Um, Sam, what stood out to you? We'll, we'll go back and forth, three takeaways each. Uh, first takeaway from, from this weekend, from this Saturday. Uh, my first takeaway, Michigan State might be back. They uh, finally put it together this year. Dogged. Took Baylor. them 10 games. Uh, but, yeah, they went in there and wiped the floor with Baylor, winning 88-64. Um, you, you get, you know, just kind of the production that you thought you were going to get from this Michigan State team. Tyson Walker gives you 25 um, the you know the, the the talented freshman, uh, Cohen Carr gives you some some electric minutes kind of off the bench and and gives you a spark. Um, AJ Helgert obviously is you know continues to kind of be that guy that is that senior leadership for this Spartans team. So I think this was a big step forward for Tom Izzo and Michigan State. Uh, you know a, a kind of a head scratching first start to the start to the season, ten games in. Uh, but I think that you'll see Michigan State settle in. Uh, you know, you'll get a couple wins here in the non-conference and then start Big Ten play. I bet Michigan State gets it together, uh, you know, and, and come March here we'll get we'll get a Tom Izzo team that's ready to play in March, I think. Yeah, that was the first sign of like, hey, this team still got it. Mm-hmm. You know, this team still has it. They just have to kind of unlock it and, and be consistent. Yeah. They still got it. Uh, Baylor defense, though, might have some issues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was kind of their downfall last year, I think, for the first time under – you know, under Scott Drew, uh-huh. they did not have an elite defense. Uh, they've had elite defenses, I think, the entire time that they've been kind of that, you know, peak program. Mm-hmm. First year after losing Jerome Tang, uh, ranked outside the top 100 in efficiency for the first time. It entered this game against Michigan State outside the top 60 and uh, made an offense that had looked pretty dreadful at times this year. Um Look the exact opposite. Yeah. So that's kind of the other end. You know, maybe Baylor still has those same defensive issues, even if it looks like they've pieced, you know, their roster to better together a little bit better this year. Uh, my first kind of takeaway is that I think for the first time in a while, we kind of have a top tier of college basketball again. Feels like the last couple of years we've had like 14 teams that you could argue, hey, this team's the best in college basketball. You know, that seems the best. A lot more parity. I think we're still going to have plenty of parity. I think we still have plenty of talent dispersed. But it feels like there is a little bit of a, a clear-cut top tier at this point. UConn, Arizona, Purdue, and Kansas. I would say those four teams definitely. You could argue a couple more. But, like, to me, those four teams clearly feel like, hey, these are the best four in basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, these teams are playing a different level of basketball. And that doesn't mean they're not gettable. Right, I mean, we saw you know Purdue go get beat by Northwestern, but more often than not, like these four teams have been playing a, a level of basketball that is is just better than than the rest. Yeah, it, it really does just feel better. Like I, I was watching uh, like side by side. I can't remember which game, but like side by side Arizona and Purdue, and then like a different game between like <laughs> a borderline top twenty five team. It's like these just look like different sports these two teams are playing right now it doesn't feel like often in college basketball you have multiple teams that feel like final four ready in December but you just you know it just seems like there's like you said you know there's just a handful of teams this year that just feel like they're 
almost a shoe in for like a like a at least an elite eight run in the tournament here coming up. So like, I, I yeah, I think that is kind of a, a big takeaway that you've just got the top level talent that you don't really. Seems like there's more disparity in years past. Um, thought number two, Sam. Takeaway number two. Uh, Kentucky and their freshmen, uh, they're very legit. They're very legit. Um, they looked impressive against North Carolina. Rob Dillingham gets you some big-time buckets, uh, You know, gets you 17. He looks really impressive. Aaron Bradshaw looked good. Um, you, know, you got some big-time buckets from Trey Mitchell at times. Uh, DJ Wagner gives you a lot. Reed Shepard continues to just look incredibly impressive. Uh, for for so early in the year, it seems like Kentucky teams always kind of, you know, are, are trying to piece it together consistently in this time of the year. Uh, but Kentucky, you know, they, they these can, these freshmen, man, they just seem like they're really piecing it together uh, a lot sooner than it normally seems like for Kentucky teams, and and that's definitely something uh, to keep an eye out for. You know, just for uh, entering SEC play here soon. Yeah, um, I hate to admit it, but Kentucky does kind of feel back. Yeah. You know, that we've joked about it. Oh, they got another good assistant in for the first time in a long time. And Cal's back to wearing suits. And they're going back to the old court. And they're going back to the ways of, you know, that dribble drive offense around athletic freshmen. And, well, they are. You know, they, they, they are kind of back to the formula. Uh, going young exciting athletic talented freshmen dangerous with the ball in their hands you know I thought Cal adjusted nicely too like they're they're not throwing it into bigs every time they're they're playing one big out there on the floor I thought they used Bradshaw better yeah I mean they still lost to UNC Wilmington but uh they they looked good on Saturday and what impressed me most and and also kind of scared me most was I mean they they were in control of this game for a long time leading by double digits a veteran UNC team gets hot, comes mm-hmm. all the way back. You know, they they cut it down to one or two a couple of times, and then they even take the lead. Armando Baycott, a couple of free throws at the five-minute mark. You kind of feel like, all right, you know, four freshmen out there. This is where Kentucky crumbles. And instead, those four freshmen help pull back away. Yeah. You know, to, to give 100%. up a double-digit lead on the you know in a neutral site game and then figure out a way to, to regroup and pull back away, that tells you a lot about this Kentucky team. And, yeah. You know, I, I think uh, I think they're coming along well. You That's know, something you normally have to teach them, like that fight in the late right. game to be able to push through against a good team. Like, you don't normally get that, even if it's a five-star freshman. So, uh, that was also my second takeaway from the weekend okay. was Kentucky. Yeah. So, uh, final takeaway from you before we get out of – this hour um texas a&m and houston texas a&m played a really good game wade taylor looked unbelievable they almost came back and beat houston i think you know we talked about kind of the the upper echelon of the sec i think that uh you know i I think texas a&m is is kind of squarely in i think in the top three but i think absolutely in that top four of sec teams all right yeah so we have pretty similar takeaways here did you have this as well uh i wrote down more so that you know it, it felt like Heading into the weekend, you could definitely trust Tennessee heading into SEC play and probably trust Kentucky. Yeah. I think you can definitely trust Kentucky now. That's at least going to be, you know, two strong teams at the top. But what I have written down here, too, is that we are so close with with Bama and A&M to them kind of joining and making it four really good teams at the top. Both Texas A&M and Alabama are just so close right now. And, and, you know, they both lose narrow, narrow games on Saturday. Like Alabama, back and forth for 
for 40 minutes. One of the more fun games I've seen in a while that people weren't really watching. Alabama playing at Creighton in Omaha. They drop one by three. But there's a lot of talent on that roster. You know, Marcus Sears has been nice this year. Grant Nelson is a stud. Uh, Like, they have some other talent, too, that I think is kind of figuring it out. They've lost some close games. You know, they, they, they didn't defend Ohio State well in that neutral site game. They... Really had a a tough night against Clemson, but the last couple of weekends, Purdue probably could have won that game. Poorly officiated. Alabama got the the short end of the stick there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this weekend, losing by three at Creighton, there's no shame in that. We'll see what they look like against Arizona in two days. But, you know, I think Alabama's right on the cusp of figuring it out and probably will at some point here in the next month or so for SEC play. And I think A&M right there, too. You saw them go on the 21-4 to run over an 11-minute stretch to claw back into that game. Um, Just as impressive from Houston to keep responding. In that yeah, that, that was pretty impressive, yeah. too. You know, A&M lost a shootout with FAU. They, they lost a tough one against a Memphis team that I think is good. It's a good Memphis team. I think Got Penny, a big Penny's, win this weekend, too. Low-key Penny's, Penny's best Memphis team. You know, it's probably the, the least covered but, but best team. Um Lost to that Memphis team, and then of course you know they lost to Houston. But this is another team that I think is going to really kind of st- start clicking and figuring it out come SEC play. Wade Taylor was otherworldly. <laughs> he is amazing, just yeah. in general. Eighteen and a half points a game, almost five assists a game this year. Uh, and, and like him, Henry Coleman and Tyrese Radford makes a pretty solid one-two-three punch. But uh, he was special against Houston. Nearly dragged him back into it. He had 34 points, 26 in the second half, and, and he made uh, six threes. At one point, he was like six of nine from three and then kind of took some desperation ones there late to make that number worse. So that was my third takeaway from the weekend is that, you know, the SEC may be a little bit down, but I think quickly we're going to have four very good basketball teams at the top. Uh, hour one, it's done. Hour two on deck. Stay with us on the Blitz. Look at